You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadi al-lazheen astafa. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmi al-jaza. Wa ba'd. Faqad qala Allah ta'ala fi qawlin. فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولا يرضى لعباد الكفر صدق الله العظيم uh, respected and esteemed listeners uh, we welcome you to the segment part 2 on a legal eagle we have our esteemed guest uh, both of them you know uh, seasoned professionals and experts in their field uh, attorney Yusha Tayyib and of course attorney Zahir Adam and this is an extension and a continuation of the program that uh, we had various discussions about and uh, discussed many, many issues in our previous segment. Uh, primarily, when is it permissible for people and why uh, to go to a secular court and why do people opt to go to a secular court instead of uh, going the route of Sharia and that is Islamic arbitration and uh, mediation. So, uh, mashallah, uh, that attorney uh, Zahir Adam and attorney Yushatayab, welcome to tonight's uh, segment of Legal Eagle. for accepting this invitation and I think there were requests from people as well uh, that uh, we have to to clarify certain aspects with regards to a secular law and uh, that of uh, Islamic law where are we at variance etc but before we get into that there are a few key issues that we need to to touch on and uh, that is uh, specifically the ICJ case uh, that we've read in newspapers and we've seen articles uh, that stated or that states uh, that uh, one congresswoman from America, from uh, from the Senate, stated that it is time to review their relationship with South Africa. So uh, possibly alluding at the future sanctions and uh, other type of uh, draconian laws that they will be imposing against the country of South Africa because of South Africa's stance uh, with regards to the apartheid regime, uh, the Israeli government's genocide in uh, Israel. So any uh, one of our esteemed guests, would you like to comment on that, please? So, Mufti I, I think the move, as I've read it in the paper, is, is political contamination. Um, and that's all it is. It's you, you've, you've elected... <coughs> To, to fight against the state of Israel, which is our sister, brother, mother, father, whatever it is to them. Um, and uh, now politically, we will mark you and we will treat you accordingly. So it's, it's a political, it's an intimidatory tactic. It's nothing different than the U.S. Um, and, and, and other, 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 I mean, <coughs> inflict on others. Um, that's all it is in my view. It's just a political contamination. Um, South Africa, in, in secular terms, uh, did the right thing, um, but uh, but um, it now it has to have consequences uh, for, for for the supposed superpower. So it's just a political contamination um, and and a bullying tactic as they do all the time. Adding adding to that, uh, Zahir, that uh, Netanyahu went one step further, and uh, he actually stated that uh, South Africa is outright supporting the terrorist group Hamas. So in his view that we are supporters of of Hamas, who he claims to be a terrorist group, whilst the entire world are witnessing the terrorism that these Zionists are uh, inflicting upon our people, our brothers and sisters in uh, Palestine. So, uh, you know, that uh, saying that we are supporting them, I don't know what uh, he means by support. Is it because we took them uh, to court uh, and then we intend taking them to the ICC also? Uh, as we've heard that Minister Naledi Pando uh, mentioned uh, previously, in I think on last week's segment as well, that uh, she asked uh, the Supreme Judge uh, at the ICC that why haven't you issued a warrant of arrest for Netanyahu yet? So I think because of that, is it uh, playing with words or is there a real possible threat that uh, they might want to do something against uh, this uh, land of, or specifically the government of South Africa? Or is it just a case of dogs barking in order to scare us here as citizens in this land, G? Uh, 
Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in A'udhu billahi minash shaitani rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yasiri li amri wa luhbahu uqtatam nisali yafqal qawli Jazakallah Mujisab, I'm certainly not an expert on politics but maybe in my humble opinion the way this is playing out is on two levels One is from the political alliance level now, we know that South Africa is, has aligned itself with the BRICS countries. And there was a lot of pressure on them that, you know, if the BRICS summit was to go ahead and Putin was to come, they would have to arrest him. So it's almost as though this was a quid pro quo. I mean, you know, you're going to arrest, uh, you want to, to arrest our guy. Uh, and now South Africa has brought an application against Israel. And obviously behind Israel is America. So there's that split on on an international political level and obviously there's going to be consequences for aligning with any any particular side when it comes to the support of hamas and it comes to south africa's reason for for bringing this application obviously we, I, I i can only speculate but but they work on um constituencies so obviously especially coming up to elections now uh, the muslim community is a very important uh, part of of that and uh so they win on two levels. They improve their relationship with with Russia, and with uh, with uh, with the BRICS countries, and at home, uh, they they win the favor of the Muslims. So, I think that it's natural that uh, the Western countries, obviously, are on the opposite side of Russia and, and its allies, are going to uh, threaten consequences for South Africa. And I'm sure these things have already been anticipated. Okay, mashallah. Yes, uh, both implications, you've mentioned implications. Any one of our guests, you know, what sort of implications are we speaking about that uh, they possibly could uh, implicate South Africa? Are we speaking about sanctions? Are we speaking about uh, destabilizing the country? Are we, you know, th- th- we're speaking about a dirty group of people here. they dirty in politics. Uh, they known uh, people that are known for, for doing a backdoor dealings, cloak and dagger style tactics, all these type of things, you know. So are we looking uh, at that or are, uh, uh, is it uh, more serious than uh, what we can, uh, can imagine at this point in time? It's a, it's a declaration of war. I don't think anybody needs to be putting on their camo gear and getting their AK-47s ready for war. Um, but, 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 but certainly they're going to be, look at, uh, be, be looking at some uh, economic sanctions. Um, you know, we know that they've got this AGOA, African something, 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 and APEC, and they try to establish relationships with African countries. So I, I suppose South Africa will be, will be sanctioned somewhat in that regard. Um, uh, it's probably more economic and political and social rather than a, a physical war. Uh, mm. I don't think Americans can afford it, but I, I think that would be quite extreme. Mm. Um, but I, I certainly think it's going to be some sort of economic, social and uh, uh, political sanction of sorts. Yes, we've seen the, the, the rain falling uh, sharply. You know, we've seen it happening uh, now and we've seen the, that there's possible uh, fuel price increases as well. So already a, an economy that is downtrodden will be suffering further and the people on the ground, uh, people at grassroots level, they are the people that will be suffering. Now our esteemed guests and our esteemed listeners, right here in Marqa Sahaba, the verse that I have cited, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يَرْضَى لِعِبَادِي الْكُفْرِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, رَضِيَ means to be pleased, to be happy, you know. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased that uh, 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 that kufr in its entirety, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased with the concept of kufr, with kufr in its in its linguistic form, in its real form, in all its branches, etc. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased with that uh, for his slaves. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions ibadihi, meaning his slaves, and from amongst his slaves you will find that people who are doers of good, uh, those people who stay away from all forms and acts of kufr, and then you find, as the Quran says, wa minhum man huwa those people who are oppressive and uh, do injustice unto themselves. So when we speak about a secular law, and we speak about people going uh, this route of going to secular law, where we know uh, that uh, the sharia might be violated, and uh, the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might be discarded in favor 
uh, and, and judgment for a law that is alien to Islam in Sharia, alien uh, to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. So as a Muslim uh, practitioner, meaning in the uh, the law industry, as an attorney, a practicing attorney, how do you reconcile between uh, these two things, knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran that he's not pleased with any acts associated with kufr, and here you have to stand in a secular court, uh, perhaps sometimes knowing that uh, your client is uh, not so innocent and uh, that you have to engage in some sort of kufr because the ruling that you are anticipating will be contravening and it will be at variance with it of Islam. So uh, how, 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 how do you find it uh, at that point, you know, when you stand there that uh, and you know you're going to be answerable in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Gee, uh, Yusha, I'd like you to, uh, to just elaborate on that point. So, Muftisab, I, I think Zaid is probably better qualified to answer because since our last conversation, you literally took me back to about 10, 12 years ago when we started deciding to use lawfare as a means. And I, and I, and I think we, we concluded uh, that it's permissible as an act of war. Uh, but I, 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 want to, I want to kind of shift it somewhat because... Um, I would like to understand from Charlie's point of view, and I and I think it would be of benefit personally and and to the listeners as to when we're entitled to do so. So we have many many examples where we say where Muslim issues arise and they involve the Sharia, there just cannot be any possibility of a contamination by referring it to a kufr court. But I'm talking about other rights and obligations, um, employment rights, neighbor rights, uh, damages rights, damages claims. Several um, claims. So I'm, 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 I'm guided by you from a Sharia point of view, um, because when we do litigate and enforce rights insofar as personal rights are concerned that, that, that do not involve the morality of the Sharia or the application of the Sharia rather, um, labor, labor, employees' rights, neighbor rights, uh, motor vehicle, car accidents, uh, that kind of thing where, 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 where you're not putting in a claim for interest, but you're possibly putting a claim for damage that you've suffered, um, termination of employment, which was not done substantively or procedurally fairly. So... I'm, I'm more guided by you on this question because currently we stand in courtrooms uh, and we and we, we, we personally uh, do not want Muslim issues, uh, Sharia issues, uh, issues affecting the injunctions of the Quran to be even discussed by non-Muslims. Uh, sometimes you're forced to and sometimes you're forced into a situation and, in, and it's quite embarrassing um, to have to have someone who doesn't understand the provisions of the Sharia to have to make a ruling on it because you simply cannot understand it unless you're a Muslim and submit completely uh, to the will of Allah. Uh, and, and if you don't, you're never going to understand it. So, so, so I'm guided by you to the extent that we have to use secular courts for the enforcement of certain rights. I accept that there may well be positions of uh, divorced wives uh, claiming maintenance or over and above that which they're entitled to in terms of the prescript um, of, of the Sharia. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm really guided by you insofar as that is concerned. And we can deal with particular situations um, that arise. Uh, but, but I think the shoe's on your foot tonight because mm -hmm. I, I need substantial guidance, inshallah. G so, before you answer him, can I can I maybe yes, come in because sure. I need you to answer me as well. <laughs> so I think we both are in need of your assistance, and we probably should be hosting you rather. You're the expert on this. <laughs> uh, but 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 Muftisab, I think what what I'm troubled by is the issue of the legitimacy of the court. So you know, as a lawyer, most uh, most lawyers are not familiar with Quran. I mean, uh, and I'm saying this you know from our own experiences, and at certain points. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens the road and, you, and you're you able to do tafsir and you start seeing these ayat and they scare you, you know. Um, so if Allah is saying that, you know, you're supposed to reject ta'ud, in other words, any false authority that competes with Allah, and I, and I understand this and I may be incorrect, so whatever I'm saying is wrong, you, you know, you can then correct it. But even in our shahada, 
we negate all other ilahs except Allah. So the so the definition of the word ilah we're not necessarily clear on, but I understand it to be uh, an entity that you're devoted to, who uh, commands you and you obey. So in other words, the entity that makes for you halal and haram, which in the case of a court or in, in the case of a state, is legal and illegal. And ultimately, where the problem comes about is people get confused about what's right and wrong. They actually don't know how to determine what that is because they have laws that give them rights. And these laws then say, you know, X is right and, and Y is wrong. Uh, and, and you go according to that and that's what you enforce in court. But then you have a constitution that at its very core has values that are completely contradicts the Sharia. So so, so this issue of, uh, of belief and disbelief, you know, we were talking about Iman, um, when we look at uh, shaitan, shaitan believed in Allah Ta'ala, but he disobeyed the command. And and and, and as a result, uh, and, you know better, but he becomes a kafir, not because he doesn't believe in Allah, but because he rejects that, the commandment. And if we are vicegerents on earth from the time of Adam al Islam, then clearly the only legitimate law of the land um, is the law of Allah Ta'ala. So, so I think maybe the first step is that there can't be legitimacy in the law of Kufr based on the ayat that we know. Uh, but if you find yourself in the situation that we find ourselves in, and there's no any, there, there isn't any other way to claim your haq, and I mean haq in terms of the sharia, then you use these uh, tools in order to get that. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's what, what, what Yusha is asking, but I, I think fundamentally for me it's an issue of tawhid. Um, it's who you submit to. Uh, it's what law uh, you consider to be uh, the legitimate law um, that that we all bound by, and if you apply a law other than that law, then you're oppressing people because you're actually making what Allah has made halal, haram, and and vice versa, because your 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 laws of your country are in contradiction to that, and not only practical laws like what Yusha is talking about, but fundamental values that are enshrined in the constitution. Uh, which is why, if you remember, a few years back we had this issue of the Muslim marriages bill, and and the objection that the, the Muslim Lawyers Association had to it was that this bill was going to be called an Islamic bill. In other words, uh, it would in, 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 encompass in the laws in accordance with the Sharia, but that would ultimately be subjected to the to the Constitution. Not the other way around, which is what we believe that all laws, man-made laws, must first first be must first first be uh, compared to the Sharia, and then uh, we need to root out what is not consistent. In this case, what would have happened if these bills were passed was that those laws that were Sharia laws would then be subjected to constitutional values, and if then found to be not constitutional, then that would actually change what our what our what the what the application of our deen would be living in a non-Muslim. Uh, country. So I know it's a bit, a lot, lots of, lots of things to deal with, but I think hmm. you will be able to sum it up for us, inshallah. Gee, you see that I'll start where you ended off now by saying that living in a non-Muslim country. Uh, but before I speak about that, uh, I had objections when the Muslim marriages bill, when these people who promoted and advocated it, when they brought it, you know, uh, to the table. So my, my first question to them was that how do we permit uh, a non-Muslim judge uh, to deal and decide in matters that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given them authority and how will we, we deal with it amongst ourselves and uh, a simple answer that came from these promoters which has, was not even based on any shari principle or any dalil or any proof was that the courts will pronounce their rulings and we can resolve matters between ourselves so uh, i objected again to that by saying then why do we need to go to court in the first place when we could have resolved matters amongst ourselves because that is what we've been doing for the last 300 years as a south african muslims or muslims living in south africa now sharia is all about uh, uh, removing all types of oppression whether it is uh, you that are oppressing or you who are being oppressed and then it is also about establishing a justice justice is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has laid out the foundations of justice and i think there we differ with uh, the justice system 
that is prevalent here in our country, also in Roman law and other types of law that is practiced upon the globe uh, or practiced, uh, you know, across the globe. So you have different types of law. Then you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's law that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen for his slaves. One legal maxim, one legal principle in Sharia uh, is that there should be no ta'atilul ahkam or ta'atilul hukmi, meaning there should be no breakage in law in the sense where people who are wronged that uh, there's no restorative justice for them they don't get to uh, to claim any rights and uh, the matter is left unresolved or it is termed as a cold case as it is called in uh, legal terms you know meaning a person has been wronged a person uh, was injured etc and that person has absolutely no re- legal recourse uh, because he refuses to go to a secular court so even in that extreme cases then uh, as a minority living in a, a, a Darul Kufr, in a Darul Harb, in a, this country that we are living in, uh, people would be forced then to go to secular courts uh, to reclaim those rights that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has afforded them. And on that basis, uh, uh, Fuqaha, jurists, then only they have permitted people to go uh, to secular courts in the absence where a, nun, where a Muslim uh, court uh, is not readily available. So I think that uh, a solution, uh, our esteemed listeners and our panelists tonight, you know, a solution would be that uh, first and foremost, we need to make a firm resolution that we rather opt for Islamic uh, uh, Sharia to be implemented amongst ourselves as many of these tribes are doing that are living here in South Africa. But from a legal perspective, is that possible here in South Africa? Can we rule amongst ourselves uh, according to Sharia without any government interference? G. Any one of our uh, panelists? I think um, I think insofar as the penal criminal laws of, of the Sharia are concerned, we would be very much constrained in, in executing the judgments that involve life or limb because it would simply be completely unacceptable uh, to, to the secular laws. Um, there's also a principle in our law called uh, against public policy, that which is considered to be against public policy. And so my thinking, my thinking on that, and I haven't, I haven't uh, thought it through completely, but certainly some of the aspects of the Sharia can be declared to be against public policy, uh, simply because they don't understand the reasoning behind it, simply because they don't understand the extent of the submission required for Allah. Um, so, so I think there would be a, a conflict uh, to, to some extent. Um, to the extent that we want the Sharia law to apply, uh, you would then have to have those agreements or, or those arrangements subject to a, to a to a determination by possibly non-Muslim uh, uh, functionaries, administrative courts, whatever. And so I think there would be that difficulty. But the issue comes back to episode one again. And, and episode one is that We've been diverted and we don't respect the decision of the Mufti or an Alim or whoever makes the Shari decision in a particular matter uh, simply because we've been completely absorbed into the secular world. But between the parties, if they were to reach, so it would be self-enforcement to a large extent. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Zahir, would you like to add to, uh, to that? Uh, so, Muftisab, like we discussed last week, um, there are institutions that are now coming up uh, that are formalizing the ability of people to refer the matters to the Sharia. But it's obviously going to have limited scope. So you're going to have to deal with just commercial matters or, 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 or family matters. Uh, but but they do exist. I know there's there's one in El Dorado Park that's been running for for many years. I know that uh, Jamiat also has some some uh, mediation uh, and arbitration facility. I think Yusha was involved in it at some point. And then I know on the East Rand there's a group called the Guardian Institute that's also established uh, Islamic courts. So that's all done in terms of the Arbitration Act. Provided both parties consent, and that's the, the prerequisite for it to work, is that both parties need to consent and an arbitrator needs to be agreed upon. 
once that happens, you can decide what law you want to apply. And if you're applying the Sharia to your particular dispute and you're happy to accept the award of the arbitrator, then he issues that award uh, and you can then make that order, that award an order of court. And so you do have, you have the right of enforcement. Um, no higher court can go into the merits of it uh, unless there was procedural um, inconsistency or problems. Uh, but in terms of the merits of it, uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't refer most of our disputes um, to, to, to those types of forums. Yes, you see, I just want to add to that. I think uh, people's ability to uh, accept Sharia and to be ruled by Sharia, that should be questioned, you know. I've dealt with many, many cases over over the years, and uh, some of those institutions that you've mentioned now, so they also send their, their queries to us, and we have to answer that. So what I found in my experience is that when rights are due to certain people, and then only they would want to apply Sharia. So only when Sharia is afforded them, for example, in the law of succession, in inheritance, uh, when a certain thing is due to them, then uh, they come forward running and crying and calling out for Sharia to be applied, uh, you know, and uh, to get their rights and and matters of uh, divorce, etc. They they would demand their rights. But when it comes to the giving of rights of other people, and uh, then they would rather opt for secular court because they perhaps might find a more uh, a judgment that is more, uh, you know, to their side that will be uh, more uh, in favor of, of what they were seeking in the first place. And uh, that is also a, for a form of oppression. So I think there's our primary problem, you know. And that uh, hadith comes to mind where Rasulullah said that you will see after me that preference will be given uh, to certain people, to certain organizations, to certain things. Uh, like we have the tender scams and tender things happening where people are getting tenders, etc. And you will see many, many things happening after me. This was the prophecy of Rasulullah Wasallam. And then when the Sahaba asked him that what do we do, O Messenger of Allah, uh, peace and blessings be upon you. He said that give the rights of those people uh, whom have rights upon you, meaning give due to them what is due to them. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to restore your right. So even there we can say that uh, even if our rights are not afforded to us, we have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to restore our rights. So even if we look at it purely from that perspective, so we should not be subjected to kufr, uh, law or going to these uh, secular courts, you know, even if people uh, do not want to give our rights, there is a Supreme Court coming and that is in Qiyamah, but that does not absolve one from uh, claiming one's rights here in uh, in this uh, worldly life. We still have to give rights to other people and certain people will claim rights from us. So as a Muslim community, uh, our listeners uh, right here on Marqa Sahaba, you know, that I think many people want to know that uh, they're opening up certain uh, Muslim facilities, certain Muslim uh, communities, etc. They've been speaking about uh, the implementation of uh, Sharia, uh, whether it be on, on business level, social level, uh, matrimonial matters, etc. And its implementation, where do we start? Uh, if our esteemed uh, panelists can uh, guide us on that, you know, where is the starting point for those communities that come together that wants to govern with the with the the, the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We as, uh, as, as an organization, we also, Yusha and I are also part of AMSA, so Association of Muslim, Muslim Professionals of South Africa. So the the, the forum that's been established on the East Rand, the Guardian Institute Forum, the Islamic Court there, uh, the, the, the lawyers uh, also, who are also a part of the MLA have been uh, working together with us to, 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 with other ulama and uh, to try and get this up and running. So I think we should support these initiatives. Wherever there are these initiatives where we've got lawyers, we've got ulama who are willing to give up their time and to build these institutions so that Muslims have somewhere to go. Uh, so one of the things that we can recommend is that what we do have personal knowledge of is is the one that's that's currently being started in uh, in the East End by the Guardian Institute. So so that's very good, mashaAllah. You know that at least there's a starting point for Muslims in South Africa, and I'm sure that it will branch out further to the rest of uh, South Africa and uh, be more accessible uh, to the rest of the Muslim community. Yusha, that uh, when we speak about uh, justice, you know, justice in Islam 
and I'm sure that you are well versed uh, when it comes to justice in Islam. And we speak about justice in the secular court. Uh, what's the difference between the two? We know what is justice in Islam. Justice in Islam is that uh, even if you have to give judgment against yourself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala anfusikum, even if it is against yourself, you know, the ruling will have to be given uh, against yourself. And an example of that is uh, when Samarqand was attacked. Uh, during the Khilafah of uh, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, uh, I'm not going to uh, narrate the entire incident. So Samarkand was attacked by the Muslim army under uh, under Qutayba, uh, and uh, Muslim in Qutayba, and uh, he attacked it without uh, inviting them towards Islam, without giving them three days to think about it, without uh, doing the necessary, you know. And uh, one person from there actually sent a, a message, a messenger left Samarkand and went to complain by the Khalifa, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, and he wrote back on the letter uh, saying that let the Qadi sort this out. The letter was taken back to Samarkand and the Qadi there, this is justice. I don't think there's another incident in uh, recorded history, Islamic history, where Islam is ruled against itself in this manner. And I want our listeners to listen attentively, you know. So in a lengthy story, the messenger went, he embraced Islam on his way. He saw the letter, he saw the condition of the Khalifa. He headed back to Samarkand. Uh, he gave the letter to uh, to, to the, uh, uh, the people in charge of Samarkand, non-Muslims. They gave it to the Qadi of the Muslim army. The Qadi looked at the letter, he looked at the signature of Umar bin Abdul Aziz, and he ordered... Uh, the Muslim army to withdraw from Samarkand to give them uh, three days and to give them a warning to invite them to Islam to tell them if they don't accept Islam then jizya will be enforced if they don't accept that then jihad will be waged against them so those are basically the three options and the army withdrew and after a few days that the majority of Samarkand uh, became a Muslim so that is an example of Islam and a justice even if it is against yourself if you compare that and uh, juxtapose it to our criminal uh, justice system or our justice system in south africa that has failed many many people so far uh, people uh, you know that uh, crimes were perpetrated against them etc and uh, the criminals got away how, how do you do do you weigh uh, between islamic justice and between uh, secular justice g the justice of Islam is complete. It, it cannot be compared to anything that, that, that you and I will ever be exposed to because the appointed Qadi is an appointee uh, of Allah judging in a matter and he does it for the purely, purely for the pleasure of Allah. It's not influenced by a politic, it's not influenced by a prejudice, it's, it's based purely on the facts of the matter. Um, and so I, I, I don't even think there's a basis to compare the two. Um, you, uh, when, 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 you've, when you've been to court as, as often as, as, as I have, um, it's a justice influenced by a number of factors. Um, and, 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 and those are, are not moral factors always. Um, and even the, the, the difference in the morality um, will affect their judgment. So I don't. I don't even think there's a basis of comparison um, to, to 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 the extent that even in commercial matters, the kind of considerations in a commercial matter in a secular court, as opposed to those in the in the Muslim mediation and arbitration council, are completely different. Um, you know, I, I, I recently I think uh, a hadith came through where where, where where two people were arguing close to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was about a debt and, 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 and the immediate response of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was halve your debt and, and, and one of the parties said I've already done that and I've still not paid and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's immediate response was pay your debt so you know um, I think the considerations are completely different um, in, 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 in a Sharia court um, uh, and, and, and those in a secular I, I, I don't even think there's a basis of comparison uh, then there's uh, Zahir, there's also the, the, the fact, you know, that uh, uh, Sharia court is something that is swift, meaning justice uh, should be meted out immediately and the Qadi is not allowed to judge according to his own knowledge, uh, meaning he's not emotionally involved in uh, these cases. So he is supposed to judge using the Quran as the constitution and the criteria 
and uh, of course the hadith of Rasulullah as well. When it comes to common law and secular law, etc., who script these laws? I mean, where does it come from? Uh, do a, a group of attorneys comes together and uh, do they assume what is in the best interest uh, for their community, for their country, etc., and then they write uh, those laws? Or is it taken from generations and generations before, uh, from Greek, Roman, or is it a combination of all of these things? Because our law, our Sharia, is something that is divine, that gifted, uh, you know, was gifted uh, to us uh, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, would you care to, to shed some light on this? Because uh, people are trying to understand that uh, why do people opt for secular law? And then also when a ruling is given in your favor that contravenes Sharia, that makes you a sinner in Islam because you opted for something where you know that uh, you are the wrongdoer, the dhalim in this case, and then you still rejoice after that. So that makes you a co-conspirator. You are actually guilty uh, in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shame of this up. Uh, I think that, you know, you made the right point, and that is that who knows better about his creation than Allah? So whatever he's prescribed in terms of the Sharia is the best justice for his creation. Uh, and all other laws uh, that we've come up with, whether they common law, whether they laws that have come through, uh, come through the generations, or whether they've been uh, added into statute by, by human beings, that's man-made law that is ever-changing, the morality is ever-changing. It's all dependent on what we believe to be just at any given point. Whereas with the Sharia, that's eternal justice. It's always been that way and it always will be that way because it's from our Creator. And, and the other point that you made is, is very important, I think, if we look at um, access to justice. The access to justice for the poor is almost non-existent in a secular system. I mean, you have things like legal aid or you have you have small claims courts. But by and large, uh, the processes are so long and the cost is so high that on, on normal civil cases, people can't really afford it. Uh, and in criminal cases, obviously, they have to depend on state um, public defenders to be able to assist them. So unless you really have a lot of money, uh, you, you're unable to litigate and justice gets lost in the process. Yusha will know better than me. I mean, it's been many years for me, but one of the things that really bothered me about law was that uh, that success is, is for the rich. So, I mean, for, uh, just to give you an example, assume you, you began a civil uh, trial or you, a civil case, you, you, you launch it, and by the time you actually get to trial, three years have passed, and in those three years you've paid legal fees upon legal fees upon legal fees, and then eventually you get to court. And assume that the judgment goes against you or go in fact let's assume that you you win the case uh if the other side has more money than you they can appeal and deny you that justice for many many more years to come whereas in the case of sharia it's a case of presenting your evidence and there's an obligation on the qadi to make sure that their justice is swift so just on that comparison alone it's it's hard to understand why people wouldn't opt for the Sharia uh, cause uh, of, of justice and, 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 and opt for the secular courts, unless one, uh, they are Dalimin, uh, and, and two, if they have the money to do it. So we, we, we make dua that Allah opens the eyes of the believers and un- make them understand that there is no option for you as a believer but the law of Allah Ta'ala. Gee, you know why? Because I know of cases that drags on for years and years and years and when we compare that to islam sometimes we'll find an incident where the ruling was given and the punishment was only meted out and, and, and executed uh perhaps two years after that and that is the lady that uh, committed adultery and fornication and uh, she became pregnant you know it's an authentic hadith and rasulullah gave the commandment that she is guilty because she acknowledged uh, there was iqrar from her you know uh, she attested to the fact that she committed the crime of fornication but because she was pregnant and because of respect for life rasulullah told her that go back and uh, first give birth 
and then after that uh, that you will uh, give birth you will uh, wean the child meaning breastfeed the child and wean the child after two years and uh, then punishment will be carried out and that is exactly what happened so uh, uh, that's an example where the ruling was still given and execution was only done afterwards you know and then you find in secular courts people for years and years they will go and uh, there's no justice in the system the justice system has completely failed them and then the qadi himself uh, if you look at the Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi uh, who was the pinnacle of justice, uh, he said in one famous hadith, "La anna Fatima uh, binti Muhammad sarqat uh, Even if my own daughter Fatima, uh, the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu if she had to steal, I, him himself personally, salam, would have cut her hand off. I mean, uh, that is, you know, that is the pinnacle of justice, uh, not evading justice, and uh, there's no preferential treatment. Everyone is treated equal, equally in front uh, of the qadi, in front of uh, uh, of of the person who is uh, who has been instituted to give a ruling. In secular courts, it works completely different. Uh, like as Zahir has, uh, has mentioned now, you know, that the rich you are, uh, the better your chances uh, are of uh, being vindicated in court. Yusha, uh, I think because of all your experience, you know, you can give more clarity on that. Gee. Uh, no, I think Zahir is, is, is 100% correct. But just to add to your point earlier about attorneys getting together and legislating, you know, I don't recall the lgbtq industry um for a long period of my growing years we, we didn't even exist and 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 you now have um an agenda and that agenda wants them to be treated equally for their choices so you know it's a, it's a choice justification and you even have these pride marches um to the extent that that that, that legislation has now also been enacted um, permitting the kind of conduct and persecuting uh, the morality that that, 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 that that we know from Islam. So, um, yeah, so in addition, just to confirm Zahir's points about time and cost, yes, but I also think that our laws, our secular laws are motivated by particular agendas. Um, sub you know that we, by and large, had very little uh, anti-terror legislation in, in, in our laws. But post uh, 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 the Shuada events of 2001, um, we re uh, literally copied and pasted at the behest of the U.S. and other imperialists uh, legislation into our law that substantially persecutes individuals. Uh, and we've already had some trials in the country based on that legislation. Uh, so, 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 so it's not, uh, it's not, it's not free and fair as we understand it. Um, uh, the, 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 the laws of Allah are enacted to the extent that we have to implement them, uh, partially understand them. We will never understand Allah's wisdom and, and, and the reasoning behind those laws, but we, 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 we taught to accept and ultimately the wisdom does come as you mature. But uh, the, 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 current, the current legal system is not based on a morality that, that we will ever appreciate. And it's definitely motivated by agendas. Uh, so, so that's a problem because if there's an agenda behind the law, um, it's, not, it's not truly for the, for the sake of the people. Um, and we know that all of Allah's laws uh, are truly for his servants, uh, if we could only understand them fully. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the other thing I was hoping to deal with, and, and maybe we, we're going to go to episode three, considering the extent to which Zahir and I enjoyed this. Um, <laughs> and me. That, uh, that, that we deal with the practical examples, because I, I think I, I certainly need some guidance, as I said earlier, and I think it will be beneficial to the listenership. So. Uh, maybe we can explore in the, in the coming days just dealing with, with practical matters and, and maybe we should leave family law for last because that's probably the, the most uh, uh, controversial in, at the moment. But, I mean, we, we're faced on a daily basis with, with practical solutions, whether it be a Muslim or non-Muslim employer uh, dismissing uh, an employee. Um, and I think, and I, I, and I genuinely think we, we need to understand the laws 
and the extent to which we can push the limit without uh, compromising the Sharia. I know, I know, Zayir's view is not to not to go to any form of secular authority. But I, I, I also need to appreciate that you say that compromising those rights here um, does not mean that they are forgotten. Allah will deal with them. Uh, but we also need, in, in, in the practice of, 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 of the Sharia, for people to be able to enforce certain rights, um, for me at least, that, that don't contravene or don't affect the Sharia. But, I mean, in its, in its extreme sense, uh, somebody involved in a motor vehicle collision who, who's not at fault, who wishes to pay monies for the extent of his damage to replace his vehicle so he can earn his halal risk, uh, whether that that is contributing, so I think maybe maybe at some point we need to get into the practicalities of what Zahir and I are saying, um, not 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 altogether differently, but just to understand where and how those rights and obligations can be enforced um, in practical terms, inshallah. Gee, Zahir, I think you should add to that. No, Marshall, I think you just made some very excellent points. It's got me thinking tonight, you know. Um, <laughs> very so, good, so very good. <laughs> so I think that Musisab, this guidance is so important because think about all of those uh, parents whose children are now finishing school and they want to move into a profession. Um, one of the things that we must be clear on is that whatever they choose, there mustn't be anything that's going to be making them contravene the Sharia, sharia on, the, on a daily basis. Um, so w when it comes to law, if there's clarity, whether or not you should go into the profession, uh, same with accounts or anything else. I think those are things that, that really need to be unpacked by the ulama. And there needs to be an open discussion between lawyers and ulama on what the practical day-to-day -day, uh, issues are. I mean, there are things that we may take for granted, but they may be contravening, contravening the sharia. And because most lawyers haven't had a proper sharia uh, training, they may not be aware of wherever they have been transgressing. So that needs to be, there needs to be a consistent consultation on that. And perhaps maybe the solution lies in the fact that Muslim lawyers, when drafting contracts or when advising their clients, should, should start to encourage them to use the forums that are available for mediation and arbitration according to Sharia. Because if it begins with the lawyers and they themselves decide to opt away from from the secular courts, except when it's absolutely necessary. And those are the things that Muftisab will have to define. Um, you know, when, when, is it, when is it absolutely, uh, that there's absolutely no other way except going through the secular court and there's, there's, there's space in the, in the Sharia to do it, then fine. But we as a, as a community need to start encouraging one another to start moving in the direction of mediation and arbitration in accordance with the Sharia. One more point that he was talking about, the, the anti-terror legislation that is now being rolled out everywhere. Uh, the other thing that I think ulama need to start talking about is this concept of innocence and guilt, you know? So, for example, when Yusha talks about uh, terror legislation and, and people being put on lists, um, what's our understanding of guilt and innocence under those circumstances so if if a believer is put on to a u.s terror list or is put on to an international terror list um, do we consider that person to be uh, guilty in terms of international law or do we base our innocence and guilt in accordance with the sharia because it it it, it, it then determines how we treat these people within our communities because all, that's the other thing that we need to start need to start understanding the agendas behind all the legislation that's being rolled out. And it's generally used as a tool of war. That's why we're saying that as lawyers, we don't have a problem using the lawyers as, as a tool, but it's a tool that's been used against us as a Muslim community. So it's so easy to marginalize people. You just simply, you just simply uh, uh, say that they're guilty of offenses in terms of terror legislation. And that could be anything that could be having uh, some video on your phone. It, 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 there's such a range of of broad things that anybody could be found guilty of, and then all of a sudden there's a stigma attached to these people, and the community almost uh, you know stays away because they worried you know we don't want to be associated with terrorists. So the issue of guilt, guilt and innocence needs to go back to the Sharia, and we we need to start even between ourselves understanding right and wrong, halal and haram, 
as Sherry concepts, not legal concepts. So I think the ulama can play a great role in, in bringing people's mindsets back to, to a true understanding of right and wrong. Gee, you know, I just want to add to that, uh, Zair, you know, you brought and uh, brought up something uh, very, very important. And uh, it takes me back to almost 24, 25 years ago. And not many people know this, is that after I graduated, I uh, enrolled at one institution and uh, I wanted to do my LLB. And then I thought, okay, let me drive to another institution. And they looked at my qualifications and they told me, and it was UCT, they told me, you already have an undergraduate, you have to enroll in the LLM program. And uh, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, somehow I feel that Allah protected me and uh, brought me to the iftar. So in our fraternity, there's also specialists and there's non-specialists, you know. You'll find specialists uh, that uh, knows how Sharia, the intricacies of Sharia works, uh, when it is permitted, and that we call a case study. So we don't give a general ruling that, uh, yes, that anybody can just run to a secular court for a secular ruling. Uh, if a case study needs to be done first, uh, the, the person uh, who wants to go for that uh, particular secular court ruling we need to study and evaluate if that person has valid grounds and then only permission will be granted uh, by the mufti or the person in charge you know so you can't just approach uh, any alim for that matter and ask him off the cuff that uh, can i go to a secular court that alim himself he needs to understand how a secular court works and uh, how and, and and of course he will understand how sharia works so uh, i think there should be a collaboration between uh, ulama and uh, between uh, lawyers, you know, they should foster relations uh, between the Muslim lawyers I'm speaking about uh, in order to uh, to to bring about this uh, transition from uh, running away from uh, secular courts and rather approaching uh, Islamic uh, arbitration and mediation. Yusha, there's something that I want to touch on, you know, and uh, that is the spy bill. I'm sure that many of our listeners wants to know uh, what's the latest update on uh, that. I read something about it the other day. Uh, it didn't make sense to me, and I'm sure it didn't make sense to many, many people. So uh, uh, could you enlighten us as to what is uh, the latest uh, with regards to uh, the, the proposed uh, spy bill that uh, the South African government wants to uh, to legislate and, uh, and act upon its people? Oh, Muftisab, you're ahead of me. I haven't even read the bill yet. <laughs> I've, I've, what I've seen is in the newspaper. So I haven't read the bill yet, just simply time-wise. But I'll get to it, and inshallah, in the next episode, I'll be able to comment. But, um, yeah, sorry, I, I can't. I don't know if Razaid has insight, but I certainly haven't read the bill yet. All I know is what, what I've read in the uh, social media and newspapers, which is essentially an invasive bill to get people to spy on each other, which is haram in the deen anyway. Yes, uh, okay, so so good, uh, you know, that uh, we will discuss that in the future. Uh, Zahir mentioned something important, you know, and I think the public should know this when he spoke about the terrible. So uh, in Islam, you'll find something that is halal, but it might be illegal by law. And you'll find something that is haram according to Islam, uh, and it might be legal according uh, to secular law. I think people need to understand that first. So sometimes a person might be doing something that is permissible, but it is not allowed by by law. Or a person might be doing something that is impermissible, uh, but it is allowed by law. So it, it comes down, at, uh, our esteemed guest, you know, to understanding of our uh, beautiful Sharia and how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uses the Sharia as set out in the maqasid al-sharia you know in the principles of sharia or the objectives behind the sharia and that is to protect life uh, to protect our intellect our wealth etc all these five six principles that are mentioned under maqasid al-sharia that i also want to discuss in uh, an upcoming episode uh, inshallah but uh, you know there is i think there is where we where we fail to understand uh, that we will spy uh, uh, and we will judge one another based on what the secular court has ruled and uh, we have the court of public opinion and in that court it's a dangerous court you know where people find you guilty according to uh, the laws of kufr and democracy and uh, secularism and uh, humanism and transhumanism but uh, you're not guilty in the court of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i mean uh, that in itself is an oppression uh, against uh, a fellow Muslim, you know, that anyone of, uh, of of our guests, uh, you're welcome to comment on that. But I find it very, very disturbing just because uh, according to the law that you've been found guilty, but according to Islam, you're completely uh, innocent. So you'll find many, many Muslims engaging in uh, promoting what the secular court ruled and not what the uh, proper Islamic view is regarding that specific case. Gee. 
It's a very worrying phenomenon that we would actually even believe that that can happen in a community of believers. That out of our fear for the state, or worse still, maybe our loyalty to the state, that we're willing to throw our fellow brothers under the bus in order to preserve ourselves. And and we've had experience, I don't even want to, I don't want to even expand on um, on, on the incidents Yusha and I have been involved in, in the past. In fact, the MLA has been in, involved in where, where, where uh, even institutions have been spying on their own students uh, because of, of, of fear of the authorities and, um, and self-preservation. So, so we, need to, we need to send a message and make it very, very clear that in terms of the team, the loyalty is to Allah is Rasul and to the believers. And the loyalty is not to the state. We find ourselves in a situation where this is the country that we live in, but there's nothing compelling us to 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 to, to play ball with the state and and throw our fellow Muslim brothers uh, under the bus. I mean, we see that happening even in uh, in the UK. In fact, the legislation in the UK is called the Prevent legislation. Mm. It's got to a point where uh, there's a, there's a duty to report uh, signs of radicalism. And what are signs of radicalism? If young children read their five times salah, uh, these investigations go, that go in, into you know, what they, their home background is and whether the parents are radicalizing them, if they fast during Ramadan, uh, if they express views on homosexuality, uh, if they believe uh, that, that uh, inheritance must go in accordance with the Quran, these are all signs uh, in secular states of radicalization. And in certain cases, there's many reports of this, the children are removed from the homes of the believers uh, and put into into kafir care out of fear, not even fear, when the legislation says that you know, there's a risk of them being radicalized. And from the state's perspective, these children need to be saved. And who's instrumental in reporting all of these things comes from the community. Mm. So we need to already educate our uh, Muslim brothers and sisters and sometimes even ulama. Uh, ulama are unaware of uh, of the consequences of of um, of, of these the, the spy legislation. So I think we must be very 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 clear that that that's that's really. I mean, I'm not. Uh, we, we, it's not for us to make the fear of anyone. But you'd know better than us if uh, if a Muslim spies um, on another Muslim on behalf of the kuffar. What is what is his status in the deen, Putisa? Gee, you know that the Rasulullah has said uh, when he described uh, the believers, besides being one brotherhood, you know, he said that uh, we shouldn't oppress one another, uh, we shouldn't spy one upon uh, one another. Even the Quran is saying that you know, wala just ba'da that uh, we shouldn't spy, we, sh- we shouldn't backbite, we shouldn't give offensive nicknames, etc. Uh, and here you'll find a person that is found guilty in uh, a secular court. Uh, example, I'll just make an example that uh, this person sold a crayfish, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, an exorbitant amount, and uh, he's found guilty. We'll call him a poacher and we'll call him a criminal. We'll give him that stigma. But according to Islam, the person has done absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, he violated a law of uh, a law of a land. Uh, that he's taken resources which belongs to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the state has laid claim to. And uh, we will also uh, paint him with that brush that look at this criminal coming here, you know. So besides spying, uh, we, we're giving him an offensive nickname. So uh, we're committing sin upon sin uh, in protecting and uh, promoting uh, secular law while forgetting the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, I'd like uh, that uh, both panelists, you know, that uh, to conclude uh, with some concluding remarks regarding t- uh, tonight's program. And inshallah that uh, something definitely that needs to be discussed is uh, the implications of the spy bill and uh, the extent uh, of how it will be enacted uh, upon the citizens of South Africa and uh, the implications of that, you know, that in the in, in the very, very near future, uh, we'll be discussing that, inshallah. That Ayusha will start with you, your concluding remarks uh, regarding our segment tonight here on Marka Sahaba, Voice of the Ahlu Sunnah Ji. So, so just while Zahir was talking, I'm reminded, you know, we, 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 we spent a, a, an enormous amount of time in preparing an objection to the anti-terrible and, and considering that, 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 that most of the uh, ministers in parliament today come from the ANC, which was uh, labeled a terror organization, that legislation went through anyway because of an agenda. So I have no doubt that despite, um, despite, despite 
raising objections to the spy bill, which is high on the agenda as opposed to the marriage bill. Um, you know, the, 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 the noises we make are just not going to be uh, uh, heard and the legislation is going to be adopted because the, the, the agenda is bigger than, 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 than we will ever be. Um, but I, 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 rising out of tonight, I, I just think we need to try and somehow, at some point, get into the practicalities. Um, and 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 insofar as Zahir's Takfir uh, uh, comment is concerned, I just wanted to share with you that uh, another brother who's appeared on your show recently shared a post from Iyad Kunubi, uh, and I thought it was a brilliant phrase, absolutely brilliant. He called it Takfirophobia. Don't be scared of making Takfirs. Mm. That's a topic for another day. It's a very, very hot topic. It's a topic that bothers me extensively. And I think that's the realm of the Qadis and the Muftis. It's not something we want to get involved in. But I think more than anything, I think just the common Muslim uh, needs to become aware. So one, if you've got a legal problem, Approach a righteous lawyer who's going to give you the right advice. It's not there to take your money. It's not there to push you to the secular court to make dhulam on anyone. Who's there to advise you to the best of his ability on Sharia. And who may even refer you to ulama that will advise you correctly. And to be able to get our, our aqeedah right. I mean, we must be clear that we are worried about uh, our status in, 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 the, in the eyes of Allah Ta'ala. And we don't want to transgress anyone's rights here and then pay for it in the Akhirah. So do the right thing. Whatever it is, whatever your rights may be, claim them in terms of Sharia. I think, uh, you know, the verse, uh, fear Allah um, uh, through whose, whom you claim your rights. Am I right? Your mutual yes. rights is, is, is a verse. To, so we, that's, that's who we must claim our rights through. And if we clear in our minds what our rights are, either through righteous lawyers or through ulama, then we'll do the right thing, inshallah. And the secular course is not the forum for, for us to do that. May Allah guide us all, inshallah. I mean, Jazakallah khair. I just want to add to that as we end of, you know, that uh, there should be a beautiful uh, 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 partnership between uh, the legal fraternity and uh, between the ulama. Those in the legal fraternity, when it comes to matters of Sharia, they shouldn't be afraid uh, to direct their clients uh, to specialist ulama. It won't uh, decrease any of their sustenance or take away of uh, the money that they were supposed to make out of the case. And likewise, uh, for those from amongst the ulama, they should be able to identify righteous uh, uh, lawyers uh, that they can refer uh, people to also to, uh, to help solve their problems, uh, who can guide them uh, uh, with regards to how to approach a secular court, inshallah. And until we meet next time, Jazakallah khairan to attorney Yusha Tayyib and attorney Zahir Adam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide and protect you. And to you, our listeners, Jazakallah khairan for tuning in to tonight's segment of Legal Eagle. Until we meet next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.